you're listening to Cinepunked. This episode, Ghost Watching. Hello and welcome to Cinepunked. I'm your host, Robert J.E. Simpson. For as long as the screen has been around, filmmakers have been using it to shock people. The trains in the Lumiere Brothers films had people fearing for their lives. The emotional responses the screen induces in its transfixed audiences are powerful. But what if that energy was redirected to fuel something less friendly? That's the essence behind the legendary broadcast on Halloween night in 1992 of the BBC Screen on One drama Ghostwatch. Directed by Leslie Manning and scripted by Stephen Volk, the film would become the 90s equivalent to Orson Welles' War of the Worlds broadcast. On today's show, we're going to revisit the phenomenon. Joining me for this episode, as per usual, is our very own Ben Simpson. Say hi, Ben. Hello. Who's himself a ghost watch virgin. Yes. And... Speaking of virgins, I'm delighted to have on hand my dear friend, writer, and my former co-editor back when we used to run a certain horror magazine, David L. Rattigan. Hello. I wasn't expecting to be referred to as a virgin tonight. Well, <laughs> I'm saying nothing. <laughs> I'm doing, doing you a favor, David. You have been inundated with fans now. Um, so in case you're wondering, mm. look, Rachel hasn't been kicked out of the grip. Uh, we're recording this in October 2020, and Rachel's currently on leave after giving birth to her daughter. Um, so it's okay, Ben. We can say whatever we want. You know that she's never going to watch this back. Yes. <laughs> and look, I've been looking for an excuse to get David on the show for a long time. Um, somehow, in the course of the last week, I've managed to coax him into two different things for us. So, welcome to the club, David. I think when you do your second appearance, that actually makes you officially one of our CinePunk family. So, you're now one of us. Brilliant. And thank you for engineering Rachel's pregnancy. <laughs> it's worked out. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, I, have okay, no I didn't, I didn't quite mean to. Imp- I didn't quite mean to imply. What I just implied, but yeah, you can always edit that. J- yeah. Just for the record, I had no hand whatsoever in Rachel's pregnancy. That was between her and her husband, okay. and nothing to That's do with fine. me. <laughs> <sighs> Mr. Radigan. Um, okay, so Ghost Watch 1992. Uh, this, this is something of a phenomenon. Um, it's pretty fair to say, and we each have come at from a slightly different perspective. So, I kind of am intrigued to see. Um, I guess what our responses are, what our emotional kind of connections are to it. Now, for me, I watched it go out on air on Halloween night in 1992. I was all of 11 years old. Um, and I remember sitting with the family, possibly even with Ben. I don't know. I mean, he would have been very, very young at the time, so possibly in bed 92, by that stage. Well, I would have been four, 92. so I probably would have been in bed. I would imagine so, but you never know. Um, but I do recall watching it, and I do recall being caught up in the whole... Uh, premise of it entirely you know believed what was going on i i mean because this is this is the thing so for anyone who's not aware of ghost watch ghost watch essentially sets itself up as a as a as an investigation into a haunted house and the whole film is presented like a live tv broadcast and it uses very familiar faces from british television at the time and um that was where the problem really started for it because people kind of bought into that a little too readily um so i, I remember watching it in 92 i have very fond memories of it. i've come back to it numerous times since um and even watching it again yesterday i mean for me it has lost none of its power it is still a really powerful piece of drama and i still even though i know exactly what's going to happen 
there's still points where I kind of don't realise and there's bits that I'm still picking up on. Um, David, you Ben's a complete newbie, so I want to come to him in a second because I feel we might get some more positive stuff before we go to Ben. Ben is often our voice of cynicism. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what about you, David? What's your what's your experience with Ghostwatch? Where, where do you come to with it? Um, well, I'm feeling very old now um, because you were, what, 11? And Ben, even younger, I would have been 14, I think. So a bit older. And I didn't actually watch it at the time. I was, from the age of about seven, several years earlier, I was really into gothic horror. Um, but the older I got and the more um, uh, the more I got involved in church uh, through my mother, uh, the more I was um, dissuaded against those kinds of things. Um, not so much the gothic horror that wasn't quite as bad because it's got a bit more of a traditional edge but anything contemporary to do with the occult and stuff like that gradually around that time i was being taught and i was being i was i was in contact with the local pentecostal church and i was reading books and stuff that sort of warned that things like this were gateways into the occult um so i i would have been very um wary of that kind of thing at the time so i remember the sensation about it and I, rem I remember thinking well it's, it's hardly surprising that you know it had this awful effect on people because you know satan's ways are evil um but I, I do remember the excitement around it and then i didn't actually watch it until many years later when i'd sort of gotten over my teenage pentecostalism and uh i finally watched it in probably about 2013 2014 so about 20 years 20 years after it was made. And um, and of course, I loved it. I, I think it still holds up very well. I, I think there's, you know, there's a, there's a few bits that haven't worn so well, but, we, you know, we can get on, onto that in the course of the conversation. But yeah, I, I think it's a wonderful piece of television. Um, and I really enjoyed it. And I can't wait to hear what baby Ben, <laughs> being so much younger than both of us, uh, thinks of it. So how did you find it, Ben? Oh, uh, right. Oh, 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 right. I mean, am I going to have to disown you now, or do I give you half an hour? <laughs> right. It has good points, and it has bad points. Um, some of the bad points were the terrible acting. Um, because like, well, as you've said, um, well, it's it's old. Um, but you can tell it's of a particular time. Um, and, and the acting to me just seemed a little bit forced, uh, in some places, um, mm -hmm. especially with the, like the, the mother and then, yeah. and then the doctor as well, you, you know, she, she annoyed me. Oh, she, I, well, I was going to say something then, but it, it could be taken as misogynistic. Yeah. Um, but she, yeah, because she she annoyed me. Just some, some, I don't know, just just her, her, her acting or whatever. It just, I don't know. It it just didn't seem to to sit uh, well with me. Um, mm -hmm. that, that some of the the camera tricks and all that they did was was quite interesting. Like the way they got the figure to show up in the the curtain, and then there's one shot in the bedroom when the two kids are there. Something happens. 
they go in they get the two kids down the stairs and then the camera guy's left there and he he pans um, across the room and you see the figure and it zooms in a bit and then he goes back to where where it was and then the figure's not there i thought that was quite clever um mm. and then some of the stuff at, at the end you know with uh things falling off the wall and cups exploding in the studio and uh the creepy glory hole like what the, why call it a glory <laughs> hole? <laughs> well you know i've got a story about that because my childhood church was a methodist church and it had this kind of like basement underneath the organ right. and and they would call it the glory hole and, and a glory hole being an old-fashioned term for somewhere you just like a sort of basement or den where you just store stuff right like a little rec room or, or whatever um but i'd never heard this term before and a glory hole suggested to me i imagined this stairwell full of like angels flapping about <laughs> majestically and i was <laughs> you can imagine when i finally discovered what what this glory hole was the methodist glory hole that is um how disappointed i was in later life when i found out what an actual glory <laughs> hole was that was more exciting <laughs> um, but but let's not go there um, but yeah, that, yeah. So uh, yeah, there was a childhood glory hole in in my church. That doesn't sound of all the admissions to me too bad. So you you like um, you issues with some of the, the the staging, some of the acting. Yes. Oh, um, especially your man. Was it Craig or whatever you call him? Craig Charles. No, the, from Red Dwarf. Yes. Yeah. I just find him an obnoxious prick. Like, <laughs> like he's good in Red Dwarf, <laughs> but see that it's just like, look at me, you. Oh. You know. Well, look, look. I'm sorry if I'm being insensitive, but it is my brief. They said, "Craig, come along, be insensitive. Can you get out of the way a minute? You're in the, in oh, the yeah, middle of my close <laughs> They were in on it. They were in on it. Give me an app. You were. Um, see, what I'm interested in is one thing I love about Ghostwatch is for the nostalgic value. It is the the non-actors in it, the presenters, Craig Charles, Michael Parkinson, Mike Smith. Not so much Sarah Green because Sarah Green did look like she was acting a lot to me, which was a bit annoying. Which one's that? Um, but uh, uh, Sarah Green was one in the oh, house, right, okay. the lady right, in the right. house. She was married to the late Mike, Mike Smith, who was in the studio doing the oh, phone. Right, yeah. But all the presenters to me, including the annoying Craig Charles, um, they were very much doing exactly what you'd have seen at, at that period on TV. If you'd, if you'd switched on for one of these shows, like, for example, uh, it was very crime watch. But, I mean, they still do that, don't they? I don't know if it still takes the same... Format. They still do. I mean, like in terms of a set, it, it definitely has that kind of crime watchy vibe yeah. to it. Mm. Um, I mean, the aesthetics. I think the thing that that I suppose is harder to appreciate, you know, nearly thirty years later, is just as David says, like how of the time it was. Not just in terms of the fact this is old and it's of a period. It's like the production values look like what you would have got from mm. a live broadcast. Um, Sarah Green actually while she comes across ever so slightly stagey sometimes I mean she's a competent actress anyway but her persona isn't that different from what she would be doing on going live at that time actually Smithy was there when I had my encounter with what I think was a ghost but he wasn't quite as struck as me though were well you? no well, well yes I mean, I think this is the right environment to study these things. Yeah, that's I mean, why I get sent out here to the front line and you stay all cosy and safe and sound in the studio, isn't it? <laughs> well, good luck and uh, I'll see you later. You know, mm -hmm. early more early Saturday morning television programme, it, you know, there's a kind of slight stiltedness 
in terms of a presenter and Craig Charles plays up to a certain character that Craig Charles has as an on-screen um kind of role like for me that mm. I think that's why the 11 year old me watching that bought into it completely because um I don't know if you've watched if, if you've heard the um the actual trailer that the, the basically the announcement that goes out before the program yeah. but they don't really announce it as a drama I'm going to play it now on BBC One, Screen One presents an unusual and sometimes disturbing film marking Halloween. Over the centuries there have been countless reports of ghosts and ghouls, but the line between fact and fiction has always been unclear. Using the modern idiom of the outside broadcast, Michael Parkinson, Sarah Green, Mike Smith and Craig Charles star in Ghost Watch. I mean that's what they, they stuck on immediately before the programme goes to air, and even though this is going out in the screen on one strand which was a drama strand that the bbc had at the time mm. um that's all the announcement that you have before the program and there's nothing that goes on during the program there's nothing in that that actually explicitly says this is a drama the way that it's worded is such because I've, I've now played that back several times it, it it does say the line between fiction and, and sort of you know drama and reality is a little bit blurred but but it doesn't say this is it and they says they star but like there's again there's nothing really like you could easily forget that over the course of like the opening few minutes because it is presented like a broadcast from the time doesn't doesn't the title sequence uh, make it quite clear in that it has i thought that <laughs> well in that it's kind of like yeah I can't, I can't remember exactly what it says but ghost watch written by blah blah it's a standard drama opening but I think I think there is that whilst it has that, and I know this was part of the argument that the BBC made uh, and the production team made way back in '92, whenever they got all their complaints about it. The reality is, is that you have that for what a minute, right? So you got a minute at the start of the show, but then once you get into it, once you present it with your characters, and there's a lot of information and there's a lot of kind of stuff that goes on in those opening kind of five minutes introducing the setup, and the setup does feel like you know you're watching a live broadcast i mean if you mm. remember watching the likes of the big breakfast when they did an outside broadcast like it's that kind of pandemonium and there's that chaos and there's all the lights and there's things that are not quite right and there's a bit of sketchy kind of delivery um i think you just forget like that's the thing i think and even watching at night there's a part of me that forgets and you know, forgets the fact that this is a drama that was wasn't dramaed live they recorded all the location stuff weeks before they got around to doing the stuff in the studio. But when you watch it, you do kind of get this impression that it's all going out as a live broadcast. Um, and I think if you if you missed that start, you know, you know what it's like at the start of a thing. You're sitting there talking away. You're kind of having a chat. You're getting your cup of tea ready. You're getting your your popcorn out to eat. You could miss all that. Mm. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it it was very much the the way the presenters did it was was very true to the time and like you know you mentioned the big breakfast and that was exactly what the big breakfast was like you'd have this i don't think it was craig charles but it was someone very like him would literally be at eight o'clock in the morning running around from house to house saying and now we're going to meet such and such neighbor and now we're going to run down the street it was keith chegwin, got... wasn't it? that's right keith chegwin and i think there were a couple people yeah. um and, and it, it really was it was all over the place it was you know, had that really pretty shittily improvised feel that I think any anyone young and modern um, that's you're you, our young that's and you, that's yeah that you're our young and modern person tonight, Ben. 
Um, and anyone watching it today would think, well, that's contrived. But actually, for the time, it, uh, virtually none of it was feels contrived to me of of what the presenters do. The the actual actors, the I mean, the the, the character of the um, of the the main researcher. Mm. I, don't, I don't like the character, and I don't like the actor. Mm. I, I think maybe it was just the style of acting of the time, but it just doesn't. You know, you get that feeling that she's just not real. And then the American, the smarmy American guy, just comes off as phony. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, and, and then and then the family themselves mm. are just very artificial. So I don't think certainly watching it today, I, I, I would never be in danger of of thinking it was real because as soon as the actual actors come into it, you just think, no, that's that's not real. Some of the but some um, of the phone calls as well were a bit bizarre. Like I know it's hard to act on the phone, but you know, <laughs> the the guy with his pickle sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> You ain't gonna believe this, I'm telling you. Well, you try us, Gavin. Well, um, my mates were around to watch the videos, and we put on the programs uh, about ten minutes ago. Um, I had this sandwich, a cheese and pickle sandwich it was, oh, yes. and uh, well, it frightened me to buggery it did. <laughs> I think actually the phone calls got better as it went on, because there's a point where you start to hear proper distortion on the telephone line as well, and... Um, you know, for me, it was it just sold the effect a little bit more. The, the, I mean, the weird thing about those TV broadcasts was the way that they would do it. And again, that was a very typical thing that you had on a live show. Mm. Was they had their phones that they're made to pick up, but everything—it's it's a bit like doing one of these things, Ben. It's like all the sound got broadcast into the studio room. Like the phones were redundant; they were there as a prop. Yeah, and it just seems so so kind of odd. And then you've obviously got Parky is is sitting there, kind of controlling things. And obviously, the, you're kind of if you watch enough TV, you're kind of aware about the logic of this, is that whilst he's doing this, he's also got someone talking in his ear who'll be giving him other instructions then that nobody else is privy to. Yeah. So it's a fascinating kind of multi-layered study also of a production process, which which for me is part of the appeal. I mean, Michael Parkinson is what sells this, really. Mm. Because Michael Parkinson is, is you know, famously the UK's best sort of interviewer. Um, that That's his line. He's a very... Um, that he's got a gravitas and a sincerity and he's someone you would rely upon i mean is he, is he you know a yorkshire man so it's a nice stable reliable man who's not going to try and con you mm. and i think that's the other reason that people went along with it because parky isn't an actor you know when you see michael parkinson on screen there delivering this and i mean he does a fairly good job of being cynical and questioning and, and kind of actually seeming genuine <laughs> She can't do it. No, even under hypnosis we try that. Really, Still. the same result. What other evidence do we have, Doctor? Well, over the months, Alan Domeski, my partner, and I heard numerous noises, uh, thuds, bangs, scratching in the walls, knocking. The sort of normal noise that you associate with poltergeist mm. activity. Mm. Mm. What about this here, though? I don't know. I think that's for me, is what, what probably sold at the time, and it's what sells it to me now, watching back. He's still the strongest thing in it. Mm. He is absolutely. I, th I think he's the absolute star of the show, and I don't think I'd enjoy it nearly as much if not for him. Just because he's such a, I, I want to say charismatic presence, but he doesn't on on the surface. You know, he doesn't. You don't think of him as. You know, he's just an, an ordinary sort of Yorkshireman, as, as you mm. mentioned. But but actually, there is something very commanding about his presence and very sort of authoritative and 
you know, he's, he comes across as trustworthy and, and such. Um, and he's a very comfortable personality that you that you settle in with. And as you say, he does he's, he does the role of the um, of the of the skeptic, you know, questioning this really irritating researcher, who I have to say sounds like the very worst naive sort of ghost hunter type um or you know psychic type or whatever that that really rattles me mm. because she do, she doesn't seem to have an ounce of skepticism in her body mm, yeah um I, she she really annoyed me yeah can you tell <laughs> just, just a little i would agree with you there definitely Par- yeah paramisogynist that's what it is <laughs> I, I i just wonder if I mean, I'm a bit of a hypocrite because, as Robert knows, even even though I'm not a, obviously I've alluded to my Pentecostal past, and while I'm not a sort of fundamentalist conservative or evangelical anymore, I am quite a committed sort of uh, Anglican, Anglo-Catholic type. So I am a bit of a hypocrite because I am a person of faith, um, but I, I do, I am very cynical, very skeptical about sort of all sorts of, you know, ghost hunting and psychic sort of things. And I wondered if either of you two um, come at it from a viewpoint of sort of sympathy with that whole genre of actual uh, paranormal investigators and I, ghost hunters and all that. I did wonder if, if somehow we get onto this. So, mm. um, I mean, this is the, the before even getting into maybe quite the nuances of that. I mean, one of the things that I think is worth kind of drawing out is the influence that this had on that whole paranormal genre of television. I mean, mm. Ben's a bit different. I mean, Ben grew up in the era of Most Haunted. It was not a show that existed before this. No. But it's one that I, I think only exists because of this. Um, I mean, for oh, us... Is there, is there actually a traceable um, connection? That, I think so. I mean, I think... You know, that because, because, I mean, it, it doesn't... It wouldn't surprise me if there was, because it's almost as if someone saw that show and thought, like, let's make an actual documentary. It it, it definitely has, I mean, it's definitely been cited as one of the influences, I think, on it. I mean, and, and then Most Haunted as well, it's also a fictional show. I mean, let's, let's be honest about it. Um, mm-hmm. So it was broadcast, started broadcast in 2002. Um, so you're talking a whole 10 years after. Um, although, interestingly, um, basically after this went out on air, the BBC banned it from being broadcast again for 10 years. So 2002 mm-hmm. would have been the 10th anniversary of Ghostwatch. That, that I'm sure you know, in the production meetings was playing around in their heads. Mm. But also you have a, a kids TV presenter who's taking the reins of the host. Sarah Green was known as a kids TV presenter. Yvette Fielding was an ex-Blue Peter presenter. I mean, there is a kind of definite um, appeal, I think, to, to different age groups. But also uh, I think that's a deliberate connection. And again, it's a husband and wife team involved in both things. I mean, Mike, Mike Smith and, and Sarah Green were a real life couple. Um, and Yvette Fielding kind of has her hubby in as well. But yeah, there, there is a connection. Um, I just don't know enough about the... the Who, who's her hubby? I didn't realise that. Yvette's? Yeah. Um, She's not married to Derek Accor. No, Carl Beating uh, is her husband. Oh, right. Um, I don't know. So yeah. Apparently they... so I'm, I'm, I'm so... Even though I love Ghostwatch, yeah. I just have no desire to watch Most Haunted at all. There, there's a Most Haunted... Because the... even, even, though it, even though it's clearly... Just as fake in many ways. You know that they, um, they did a most haunted in one of your favorite film locations. They they did a night. Did the, they? they did a night in the Alhambra in Morecambe. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> so and 
did they find anything? I, I I haven't actually watched it yet. I keep meaning to oh, go right. and, and give it a go. Sorry, Ben, we've <laughs> completely distracted here. So you're of the most haunted generation. Can you see a, a connection between oh. the two? Is there some? Oh yeah, I can see correlations um, between the two. Obviously, they don't. Uh, the most haunted thing tend to not really, uh, well, from from memory, go into actual people's houses. Mm. Uh, it's normally like you know this was a. Uh, a school at one point or this used to be some old i don't know linen mill or whatever and bigger spaces yes, basically far bigger spaces um uh-huh. lots of shadows and then they have the night vision camera a bit not uh-huh. not quite as sophisticated as the thermal vision in ghost watch um but yeah you can see similarities you know headed by a female and then they've got the twat of a medium in <laughs> and Sam and his uh, his little friend you know D- Derek Akora was a saint Derek Akora was a cunt <laughs> um, I second that <laughs> uh, but yeah like um, most like I used to watch most uh, Haunted with uh, my mum a lot mum mm. was big into it um, don't know why I think um I don't know. She, she just must have had a, a wee wanting to believe. Like I would like to believe in ghosts and stuff like that, but sadly, like I don't know if it's a if it's a mind thing or you know your your brain playing tricks on you. Like I have, whenever I was younger, I've I'd seen things, um, but mm. I don't know if that was just my overactive imagination. Whenever I was younger. I would like to, and I would like there to be tangible, tangible evidence, but um, like most haunted, I never really believed in any of of the supposed ghosties they find. But, but you've you've done things like you've been on ghost. Oh hunts yeah, as I've well. been on ghost hunts and ghost tours and stuff like that. That that's me. I want to, I want to mm. believe, but I don't. I just kind of wonder: is there? I mean, so this is this is the thing that I think we've obviously been aware about ghosts and the implications for that. Uh, I think about something like the Stone Tape, um, the uh, Nigel Neal BBC drama from I think it's seventy two, where it's all about the ghosts, like literally being recorded within the infrastructure of the buildings. Mm. Um, I mean, Nigel Neal stuff is, is is sort of fascinating about this. So, I mean, our, our idea about our obsession with ghosts has, has always been there, but I think in the most haunted era. Um, obviously, there's a lot more kind of pushing towards it. The rise of, I mean, well, actually, Ghostbusters, I think, is what, 84? Um, so, I mean, like, ghosts have, have, have always been part of, and ghost hunting has been part of the popular culture as well. But there is something that's a bit more disturbing about this. And I wonder, I don't know, I, I just wonder if, if, if this fueled something afterwards in terms of our own interests. Um I think something just to, to kind of pick up on that you did say, I'm, I'm being a little bit incoherent there as I'm trying to structure a thought, it's sort of trying to elude me like pipes. Um, <laughs> you, you did sort of draw on, on something that's very, very different from any other show, but which I think probably harkens back to the live TV broadcast of the time, which is that they don't go into houses in the likes of Most Haunted, yeah. generally speaking, because it's too small a space. I mean, you see there's actually very little room for them to move around you've got all these 
fucking camera wires going up and down stairs. I think like, that's why some of the tricks are that they've played in that are sold to you so well. Like, you know, pictures mm-hmm. falling off the wall and then like the apples that they were bombing and the string, you know, flying across the room like that. And uh, um, even, uh, even how they managed to get that uh, sort of ethereal looking figure mm-hmm. in some of them shots like i couldn't see a cut i, I haven't went frame by frame but mm-hmm. um especially that one where your man in the, in the bedroom um and the lights are on mm-hmm. i don't know if anybody else seen it did you see it <laughs> uh which which bedroom scenes this now it's the is, it, is this the one right at the beginning no, not that one because he, that's the one at the curtain in the back and the room's all black and like mm. you, you don't see anything and then you do see something mm-hmm. so and then you don't again and, and then you do because they're playing with you yes um yeah um no I, I know i know the scene you're referring to it's quite late yeah, on isn't it yeah when the when the camera's sort of moving around willy-nilly yeah it's like they they grab um, the girls and they take it out and the camera swoops yeah. around and then you know oh, as it's swooping the, you the side, see the yeah. figure and then it mm. stops and it zooms in for something and then it comes back yeah. across mm. the room and it's not there like i couldn't see any cuts so like all that's really really impressive Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that's uh, like a, a maybe a, I don't know, a post-production kind of thing that they've done to it, but um, for such a small space, like it does kind of sell some of the the tricks. Mm-hmm. Um, but then some of I mean, it, I, some of them are a bit naff too. But I mean, for me, I think that's one of the the appeals of Pipes as a character. I I, I think like for many years. I think I even just thought that Pipes wasn't a character as such, that wasn't somebody that you saw on screen. Mm-hmm. But you watch it back now, and it's very clear that mm-hmm. he's he's peppered throughout the whole thing. It's you know he's always just there, whenever you're not completely aware that you're seeing him. And I I, I, mm-hmm. I mean I had to go back a couple of times yesterday and go did I did I just see that? And then you kind of frame him back to see no no I did okay I, I, that wasn't. well apparently that they still seem to be debating over his appearances even now. I think I read something yesterday on the. On the internet, uh-huh. the ever ever trustworthy internet, um, that while there's, you know, there's been like, you know, I say eleven sightings identified, but then a, a potential further two or something, and and no one can quite agree on how many sightings, and of course, if you know, if you're a fan of this and you watch it over a few times, you do end up going back and thinking, did I see him then? Did I not? Was that you know, was that tiny blob that just appeared in the corner mm-hmm. of the screen? Was that pipes? <laughs> Um, I, I even shocked myself a couple times because you know there's that picture of the two schoolgirls on the back wall of the studio. Yes. And a couple times when you catch that in the background, it kind of looks like pipes. Pipes is black, black dress. Isn't there um, a shot though of pipes in the studio? There is when the lights go down. Because it, 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 I think it's with the, the expert, isn't it? And it's just over her it's shoulder. Just, just behind her, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I didn't rewind back that one. I was just kind of happy in my head. It's like I was watching the rest of the mm-hmm. set to see if I'd seen something else reflected in the set. No. I was like, no, no, no. There's nothing else there. That has mm-hmm. to have been someone. And they just put just just off off shot. Did you see mm-hmm. um, whatever it was under the stairs? Did you see that? There is something that you I, see briefly. It's, isn't there? it's almost like it. Well, to me, it looked like like the you know the grudge. Ah, uh, 
Like, uh, it looked like a little girl with black hair, which could have been one of the girls, but oh, right, they yeah. just pried open the uh, the the door. Um, it's before your man gets hit in the in the back of the head with the the mirror, and near mm. decapitates him. Um, there's I mean, it, there's it, a wee the camera goes past and you you see something. It's like, oh, that's creepy. This is one of the things I love, though. I mean, because like, I've seen this a number of times, but I don't really want to go back and kind of unpick every sighting. I'm quite happy to watch it and be surprised every time because, yeah. and I think this is part of why it, it still, it literally still sends a shiver up my spine. And it's not a lot of stuff that does that first time round, mm. let alone after you've seen it a dozen times. But it's because that stuff is is so flating, it's so well placed. I mean, Pipes mm. as a character is done so effectively. Mm. Um. And yes, you know, it's all very, very clearly signposted exactly what's happening and what's going on and, and what he is and what it is that we should be looking out for. Um, but it is, it, there is still an economy of the of that that presentation, I think, that, that just makes it work. It's, it's, you know, less is more because we talk about him and because we're kind of thrown away with the idea that the kids have set it up to begin with, um, you know, as, as a villain, as a monster, as a, as a scare, it's so much more effective. Mm. Is there are there particular moments that you think are particularly effective? Because as you were talking about that, mm. I did my mind was going back to one or two moments that I thought were particularly effective, and I I did genuinely get sort of goosebumps just thinking back to them. And I don't I don't know if you Ben had any of those moments well, since you were. Yeah, I had I had a couple. As I said, I, I like the. Like whenever they first brought up the figure thing, I was like, "Oh right, okay, I didn't see anybody," and then they re- replay it, and it's like, "Ooh, that's that's spooky." Mm-hmm. And then um, I find the 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 other one where in the bedroom, the the other shot in the bedroom where you see the figure, and then it disappears mm-hmm. um, when all the lights are on. Um, and then uh. uh the the first opening of the glory hole like that was a wee bit creepy because well i don't know if i did see something or not i possibly didn't but i thought i saw mm-hmm. something in there um thought that was creepy and then the uh the voice bit you know when she she gets um she gets uh uh mm-hmm. what do you possessed. call that possessed yeah uh-huh. um i thought that was that was quite cool <laughs> Kimmy, Kim, could you do something? Susie. Stop it! Stop it, Susie! Um, you know, whenever she's actually talking and then the mother's there, yeah. going, you know, stop it, stop it. Um, but yeah, I thought that was... you you acted you acted that exactly as well as the mother. Yeah. Did. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> so harsh, so harsh. Yeah. <laughs> but no, that, that's actually the that's one of the moments actually that I I find genuinely chilling, which feels almost like it feels almost like a cliche when you describe it. Mm. You know, the girl talking in the yeah. you know ghost's voice or whatever. But actually, when that happens in the film, um, it, it's genuinely a kind of a holy shit yeah. moment. And at the end. And yeah, that 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 would be the, the other, yeah, the the other really chilling moment for me is when 
I mean, obviously, it's all a bit, it's all a bit over the top at first, but then when it starts to go quiet, yeah, towards the end, and it's just Michael Parkinson on his own, mm. and you get that sort of wind coming, and then the 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 camera work becomes sort of indistinct, and then he starts walking towards the camera. And yeah, so I'm getting I'm getting chills thinking of it. Somebody can get the link back. When you assure me that my wife is safe, we, we I'll have go. got a, an emergency generator. Whether or not we should bring it in, I'm yeah. not going. So that's very effective, and it's very it's very Nigel Neal as well. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of the end of uh, Quatermass in the Pit. Yeah, when Andrew Keir's walking around the streets as as Quatermass. And just, you know, there's all this wind just coming out of nowhere. And, yeah, um, very effective. It's quite apocalyptic in its own way, mm-hmm. in own way and it is, it is disturbing. And I think it's, I think there is something about the, the, um, the, the claustrophobia of the whole thing mm. that for me works quite effectively. Um, you know, because there's not a lot of space to go. And even when they go outside the house, it feels like essentially they're trapped. Uh, you know, because of the, the limited lining as well, everything's just very narrowly lit. They're all down these very, very clear corridors to get from A to B. Mm-hmm. You know, they're all contained within these very small studios. And then you have this ominous presence that, a bit like Elsa behind me today, you know, she's just kind of like loitering there, um, just about visible. And you kind of, I mean, there's got to be some pipe stuff out in the streets as well that I haven't even noticed. I'd be surprised if there wasn't. Um, yeah, there there is apparently. There is. Okay, I know that. I, I think I remember reading about one of the debates about it. Um, but yeah, it's such a. I don't know. For me, it's such a powerful, powerful piece. And I, look, I, I completely agree. Some of the actors are the weakest thing in it, and they are the things that take us back out of that that reality. That otherwise, this very very adequately you know sort of sells to us in fact watching it back now the one that was lost on me in 1992 but i pick up on now every time is there's the guy that they chat to uh i think it's craig charles chats to him at the park and they walk down from the park or the medium was the house yeah. he tells yeah mm. he's in doctor who he's in spearhead from space the first john pertwee story um and like i see him now and all i can see is the actor i can't see anything else and it's just like okay right this is i'm taken out of this again now mm. and then he goes and i can, can get myself back in um and hopefully kind of just sort of run along with it for a bit um it's interesting they don't make more of that character because that must have been a temptation just because you know i mean you think back to like say like poltergeist or something mm-hmm. where the medium is the main character it must or one of, one of the main characters you know these huge prolonged scenes and she is the best thing about it. But um, you must have thought there would, there would be a temptation for the scriptwriter to throw a medium in there and have have him or her as a as a big character. But actually, the guy that you're referring to, who I didn't recognise because I'm not a, a Whovian, as they say, mm-hmm. I've, I, I didn't recognise the actor or anything. Um, but he was actually kind of your your bog standard sort of sits in a spiritualist church hall, slightly elderly boring mm-hmm. medium you know there was no, there was nothing you know there was nothing spooky about him he was, he he's was a medium medium character <laughs> it was the very definition of medium <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely i mean this originally was conceived as a five part five hour five part drama by stephen volk um in fact he's actually been really good this week uh it's october 2020 and this week he's put up on the ghost watch behind the curtains blog his original outline 
along with his own comments about it so you can actually kind of anyone who's really into this can go back and discover a lot more about the history and the development of the characters and stuff but obviously I mean, it's a five-hour drama it's a very very different thing because it was much more in a traditional sense that okay here's a character who's coming in to do this investigation and then they were going to broadcast that they were supposed to be doing an investigation for tv it gets broadcast and then when people watch the broadcast they notice that they started seeing things in the broadcast that weren't originally picked up on which prompts them to do a whole other investigation into it and i mean that's familiar to an extent from from what we get but the difference is is that it was a drama that played out very very clearly as a drama the difference between that and what we get on screen is that what we get on screen every single aspect of that is presented to us as if it's happening as if it's live as if it's unscripted um as if we are literally fly on the wall and i think that's the thing is that 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 voyeuristic thing which in 2020 is something we're far more um used to you know when we think about cctv when we think about the the the, the ability of little pocket cameras uh you know that we can wander around with we all carry one on our mobile phones for goodness sake yeah. i mean we're in a very very different world our accessibility is very very different to how it was in 92 um but there is something about that about you know whenever you feel you're literally like i mean ben you're a live streamer you know you're literally watching something happen on screen or something not happen yeah and I mean that that I suppose is one of the other joys of this is that there are moments where there seems to be nothing happening you're like what's going on then okay we're gonna do it and oh, do you know what was there's a point in the show as well I can't, I can't remember what the night's actual TV listings were like but when it must be just they, they must hit like 10 o'clock or something in what would have been real time and Michael Parkinson announced that they're actually going to stay with this broadcast because everything's got a bit too crazy I should tell you who joined to see the next program and in fact we're staying with what we have here from Foxhill Drive because the events are, are so remarkable and dramatic that we'll be staying with them for as long as, as we have and they're going to delay whatever else was coming on and that's the sort of announcement that you occasionally got on TV and again you know whatever else I'm feeling at that point I'm suddenly going oh right okay I've forgotten what's on next this is this is clearly it and and you kind of mm. literally feel you're part of it although then there is that moment shortly after that where um where suddenly they're they're back in the living room ostensibly mm. back in the living room sort of playing card games or something and, and drinking pop and um and you're kind of like <laughs> why why are they still sticking with it clearly it's all back to normal now uh-huh. sure they, they should be moving on to the 10 o'clock news he, he i mean parky just seems he's such a consummate professional he's just happy to accept anything that's stuck in front of him give him an auto cue he'll yeah. read it give him something on a screen and he's happy to believe that that is what's happening man exactly ben anchorman (laughs) (laughs) i wondered i wonder if people found anything um unintentionally funny because i I actually i was i didn't get a chance to watch the whole thing again before like i watched it the other day Mm -hmm. and then i was going to watch it all again today so it was fresh in my memory i didn't get a chance to watch the whole thing but i watched a few bits and actually found unintentionally funny was the scene you know where they catch the girl Ham- hammering on the pipe yeah. to, mm. to make the sound yeah. and just before that they're like <laughs> they're like can we have the um uh, can we have the 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 upstairs camera <laughs> no no not that camera that camera no 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 the landing camera mm. no not the land not that landing camera that landing. <laughs> i was i was in hysterics i don't, I don't know if it was supposed to be funny because presumably the tension should be building at that point um 
but I was just, um, yeah, I just found it very funny. I mean, I guess that's, you know, live TV for you. Yeah. Supposedly live TV. Um, but I wonder, I wonder um, given that, you know, some of the acting was a bit appalling in places or at least old fashioned by our, our standards today, mm. um, was there anything that either of you found uh, unintentionally funny? Ben, I, I feel you should answer this one, not me. I didn't really laugh. I uh, at all like that. That bit was mildly amusing. It was just like, but I was just kind of you know because I was watching this for the first time ever. Um, mm. I was just going with it. It was like, what's going on here? You know, trying to follow. Um, mm. thinking back to it, it, yeah, it is that. That's kind of like that. That is funny. Um, I don't. I don't know. Uh, probably the little girl's terrible drawing of. Pipes. It's like here you can keep that. It's a present. It's like oh, thanks. Um, that's casting the runes. That is that's where you literally get past the runes and it's not going to affect you. Maybe it's we'll MR put James. it up somewhere for everyone to see it. You know, uh, where's a good place? The fridge. Okay, the fridge. You know, let's let's put it back where it was originally. Yeah. Just, we don't want to touch that. Put thing. it the back in the, the drawer. Maybe set fire to. I don't know. Um, <laughs> We're getting an insight into what Ben does with his kids and all. It's yeah. like, yep, yeah, on the fridge. <laughs> yeah. No, I have Look some of my children's artwork up in front of me. So, so. You do, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, that that part was mildly amusing for me, but that, you know, I have kids, so it was just like, you could see mm. her face. is like, yeah, thank you. Oh, it's great. That's a wonderful actually, drawing. Yeah. <laughs> see, I actually thought the little kid was pretty good. I mean, I like, I'm not really... You know, I was happy enough because there's there's always see, this like <clears throat> stiltedness about kids anyway. Yeah. I'm I'm not saying like um she was terrible. I just I'm I'm saying uh, the whole reaction to the the drawing type thing. It, mm. it was just amusing to me because I have I have I have two kids and and they do stuff like that. Um. And yeah, I see. I, I'm not I'm not a parent, so if a kid gives me a drawing, I just say, "Well, oh, shit." Yeah. No. <laughs> Like you are, you're obviously trained. See, as as a parent, you have to not do that because um, yeah. you, you'll you'll wreck their little hearts. Um, yeah. See, this is my problem. They they grow up with a complex. Yeah. Never stopped our mum. I'd be brutally honest. <laughs> I don't think I I got told by my mum and dad that that, that was shit. You know, I I got so, encouraged. So. Maybe you got. Um, like I still can't get him to say that was good. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's, I'd like that once in a while. Don't even tell me it's shit. Just tell me once in a while something's good. Uh, we'll do that therapy another session. <laughs> I mean, so- I will. I will just say, Robert. I mean, you clearly by putting Elsa in the background there, you're clearly looking for validation from us too. So Elsa is is looking very good. Top notch. That is that's genuinely quite. Thank good. you, thank you. It's lost. And on. the little, yeah, the little doodles that um, Ben's kids did on the wall in the background, your super, superhero types. Yeah, very, um, very talented for the <laughs> for kids of that age. Yes. Yeah. No, that's not <laughs> their, that's not their drawings. This is the bit I got to cut out of the audio version of this. It's <laughs> like uh, we've nothing to look at. We just... <laughs> Elsa, what? Elsa? Yeah, he's a big fan of Frozen. Own you. Um... <laughs> Which I kind of am, but that's not here nor there. Um, so, as somebody who's new to this, Ben, mm-hmm. who's never seen this before, who maybe doesn't have the same sort of sense of expectation, I mean, David and I will will probably both been told this is an excellent piece of drama and it's something we have to watch. Um, <clears throat> it's something that is kind of horror 
experts i'm going to call us that for a change david because we, we really should accept that that title um like it's something that you're told this is this is a great piece of of, of horror storytelling it's a great piece of storytelling it's a great piece of tv drama yeah so we're predisposed in a certain sense but for you i mean did it work did it not work is this something you would go back to do you see what the fuss is about it do you understand what happened i mean i don't even know if you know about the bigger picture about this no i have no uh, no idea what the ramifications of this broadcast were to the the mass public um to watching it that having not known like i know nothing of this um this drama uh i think watching it i was i was under a I don't know, I had like a, I didn't even have any kind of notion what maybe this thing was going to be about because I've never seen it, never heard anything about it. So while watching it, I was like, oh, it's some bad acting, you know. Um, I could kind of tell like it was fake and um, and then it some of it got a little bit bizarre and people started showing up and and talking uh you know like the doctors and stuff like that um and that twat craig uh like uh i was just like mm, this isn't really selling it to me and later on i suppose you just got to give it a little bit of a chance to get because it was kind of slow mm-hmm slow to start you know um and then you know sort of more halfway through um sort of the last sort of you know maybe 20 minutes or so of it well that's that's where all the good stuff happens you know um and and there's there's a couple wee chilly moments like you know pictures falling off the wall and things swinging and random cat noises which i didn't really get the whole meaning behind and uh, the, the, uh, the cats now i think this is the thing that i find the weakest was the cat noises um, you know, it's like yeah wasn't, wasn't like, there something in the in the backstory but yeah it's, it's there and i like the idea that but just felt for me watching it the execution didn't quite work and also i think it may just be from having worked with ben and, and sign men for a while like you're aware that apart from anything else whenever your mic's going around the room as you get closer to something it'll get louder rather than it being at the same volume mm. throughout yeah cats it's my cats can you hear it where pam it's all right it's all around us like the trap somewhere do you hear it cats running around up there on the ceiling can you hear anything yes. sarah yeah I-, I can hear it now she's right mom where is it kenny um, like I think a kind of a minor re-edit might clean up that stuff. Yeah. Um, and I think that might be a bit, <laughs> might be a bit better. But the cats, I just thought was a little bit too, a little bit too cliche, a little bit too hokey. Um, I'm there is one convinced. real cat in it, but yeah, which is quite an effective jump scare too. Yeah. Because I mean, I kind of I've seen this a dozen times, and I watched it again yesterday, expecting to find the cat in the cupboard. And the cat's not in the cupboard. No. I mean, there's no point at which we see a cat in the cupboard. But there is something but, in the cupboard. Yeah, but we we never actually get to see it. And this is this is again one of those things. Like I'm still amazed that after having watched this so many times, my expectations are still such that. I mean, maybe that's the thing is I'm expecting the the the, the, the shock to go along a very very tried and tested manner, mm. which is okay. We're leading you up to this thing. We're going to take you here, and what you're going to get is a little scare that actually is not a scare. We're going to mislead you for a bit. Um, 
and I'm expecting like, her to open up the cupboard door and there's a meow and it's like oh it's not a ghost it's just a bloody cat yeah. and that's not what happens and I know it's not what happens but that's what I wanted to happen what I expected to happen which I find bizarre Um, I just want to touch on what actually happened with this because anyone who's w- listening to this podcast maybe isn't aware and, and Ben's not aware and David is aware and I'm aware you're aware what happened aren't you David Mm, yes, I am. Yeah. yeah. Um. So this this was actually at the time was the most complained about BBC broadcasting ever. It was over thirty thousand calls they took complaining about this, and this is something that we're probably very very aware of today. Anytime somebody says something, the newspapers then fuel a whole campaign mm-hmm. of, of writing letters of complaint. But it was a, a phenomenal number of, of of calls, most of them complaining about the content. Um, and and there was there was one very young caller, a four year old from the Belfast area complaining that the acting was just just terrible <laughs> sorry i interrupted you feel free to edit that out well i'm keeping that in i'm keeping that in but i'm gonna follow up with you know uh, there was an 18 year old who um, committed suicide within the week yeah um, that was the uh... is a factory worker called martin denham um he had learning difficulties had a mental age apparently mm-hmm. about 13 and the suggestion although it was never adequately um, kind of linked was that watching this had put him into a certain frame of mind um, apparently the family home had a faulty central his faulty central heating system so their pipes would also knock and um what was it according to this uh his suicide note says if there are ghosts i will be with you always as a ghost um but apparently this, his parents said that he's basically obsessed by the program so mm-hmm. There were things like that. There, there were concerns that there were a lot of kids who were sitting up watching this stuff because it was on after the nine o'clock watershed. That wonderful moment where Michael Parkinson says, "Put your kids to bed." <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's past the watershed; they shouldn't be here. Um, but at the time, I go ahead, David. Sorry, I'm just, I was going to say I, I, that was another bit I found very funny when I watched it back today because we don't um, talk about the, the watershed way, anymore. Was, was that? Well, it was the way he said that. The way he just, you know, it's quite passive aggressive. The way he just decided to go and have a dig at this call. And he said, well, you know, in any case, you should really put your kids to bed by now. Um, and and I, I, I was trying to think whether that was actually the sort of thing back then that a, a presenter might have said in a call in or whether that was far-fetched even for the time. I, but I, it was I, very I, funny. I mean, I have such recollections about the nine o'clock watershed being a thing and it was something that was referred to a lot mm. and i can't just be mum and dad saying oh you can't watch this because it's on past nine o'clock which i'm sure they probably also did um and there may well have been an mm. argument about watching this back in the day i cannot remember um but that was something that was that was part and parcel was that you knew you got more adult content once you reached mm. nine o'clock and i think that it was something that you know they would remind people especially if there was something that was going to be slightly more risque than normal um they would remind you you know that you it's not past nine o'clock here here here's some porn basically mm. um no they didn't do that not back then um yeah i it's it, i mean a lot of the complaints were about um about its kind of reality about how people felt that they were being duped also people completely convinced that this was unleashing demons on them basically mm. um and the other added problem was like for the kids Again, having a kids' TV presenter in the middle of this um, meant that people were maybe a little bit more inclined to let their kids up and watch it. Did they not watch the credits at the end? No? 
that's 90 minutes though you mean you've got that 90 minutes in between where you're completely you're sort of uh ensconced in this i mean if you if you go to the cinema and a, a film works well for you once the credits are done you kind of should get yourself slowly into that film and become completely immersed by it mm. to the point where you forget about everything else that's going on and hopefully by that point you know your popcorn eating has just become an automatic thing and you're no longer thinking about it you're not looking down to make sure you got the right handle you're just doing it and you're watching this and you're almost hypnotized by what's happening on screen and you forget about everything else around you until it reaches the end and you're taken out of it by credits but the reality is even the credits for this i mean yes what are you going to credit you've got unless if you're not paying attention properly i mean your main cast are all playing themselves yeah but then you can see the guy who's playing telephone the guy playing camera has a different name from what no no the guy playing camera uses his own name the guy who just the cameraman uses his own I, name but what about this. call her this and call her that you know yeah. they're it's but it's it's just enough that the average person doesn't read credits the average person doesn't pay attention written you know, by I mean, also it, the average person was cowering in the corner, <laughs> I think, listening for the central or, heating to go off, or, or, or running down the street, going, "The aliens are coming! The aliens are coming!" Uh, well, I mean, look, this is the one thing I think. If we before we go, I would like to just quickly touch on that as well. I said at the start, this was basically the 1990s equivalent of the Orson Welles War of the Worlds broadcast. I mean, am I wrong in saying that? No, it was very, very much in that vein. And I think uh, it was very easy to misconstrue what happened because I remember. Do you remember uh, Orson Welles' broadcast? But, David, you're older than I thought. No, 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 I obviously don't remember Orson Welles um, personally. Um, I might just remember his, uh, what was it, Fish Fingers adverts or whatever he did. Anyway, um, no, I, I, I do recall the, the sort of fuss in the media around Ghostwatch. Um, and to me, I was thinking, oh, all these people committing suicide, mm-hmm. um, which of course was not what happened. One person killed themselves, uh, and obviously a lot, an awful lot more people complained about it, but didn't go so far as to harm themselves. Um, uh, but see, I was already in a, a much more hysterical environment than uh, than your average member of the public. Um, just going back to my sort of fundamentalism, they were they were blaming uh, Pentecostals and fundamentalists would blame horror films for just everything mm. in those days they just either just had or possibly actually it was just before the the jame jamie bulger murder in liverpool which obviously quite close to me um when they pinned it on child's play three mm-hmm. and said that it was these kids had seen this horror film and they'd it basically carried out with this real child this murder that they'd seen on the screen in this you know, horror, horror comedy. And I used to read these Christian magazines that would, um, you know, tell you how it was opening you, opening yourselves up to, to demons and inviting demons into your household by, you know, watching these films or even, you know, list, listening to certain pop songs and things was a way for these demons to come in and start influencing you. And then, you know, you'd end up on drugs and harming yourself and all this kind of stuff. Um, so, you know, horror films were, sort of the number one thing to blame and not just among evangelicals and pentecostals this was in in society at large to some extent because we were just a few years uh, since you know the video nasties and all that when everything was being banned because 
you know, if you watch these gory horror films, um, you know, you'd end up being violent yourself and all that sort of stuff. Mm. So it was, it was a hysterical um, sort of environment that we were we were living in. So, um, but yeah, the, I, I, I certainly think the the hysteria around Ghostwatch seems to me to have been quite parallel to certainly the myth of what we hear about Orson Welles and War of the Worlds and, and everything that went on there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I suppose part of the thing is we like to think we're so sophisticated and savvy now that we can spot the hoaxes happening. But, I mean, inside number nine, I don't know, Ben, if you've ever come across that. No. It's a... Never. Okay, so it's a it's a comedy horror show uh, by Reese Shearsmith and uh, Steve Pemberton from The League of Gentlemen. It's been running for about five, six, seven years now. Mm. And two Halloweens ago, they did a live special. Right. Um, and there was a lot of a lot of buzz about this. I mean, the show is is, is well loved. It's great drama. I mean, actually, I recommend you you dig it out and try a few episodes of it. Um, but there was a lot of excitement about this live episode because, like, those guys are brilliant. What they do is is fantastic, and they really know how to use the form. Um, but we, I rewatched it again today, and rewatching their live episode, I, I remember watching it and kind of being a little bit kind of perplexed and going along with it. And then there's the point where I realize they're doing a ghost watch. There's a, there's a point during that where I kind of caught I caught on all in the fact that this is what we're doing. We're now seeing the same thing, and actually for a while, I have fallen for it just as much as people fell for Ghost Watch in 1992, just as the same as people fell for War of the Worlds, even though War of the Worlds was announced as a drama. You know, people still aren't paying attention enough, and I think that's the thing. I mean, this is why I said to you, look, I want. I didn't want you just to stick it on the background yeah. and watch it. I wanted you to sit down and watch it because if you don't watch it, you miss out on half the fun, really. You know, <laughs> it's much easier to be outside of that world for, for 90 minutes than, than when you're actually in and absorbed. Mm. But yeah, I think it changed things for me. I mean, I think it changed a lot of stuff with in terms of horror. And for me, it's still very effective. Um, So uh, look, we're going to wrap this up anyway because we've 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 talked long enough and we could probably talk more. So, in summary, what what were your did you like? Did you not like? Would you watch again? Would you recommend? Um, I'm going to hear David first. Oh, I'd, I'd absolutely recommend it. Um, you know, with the caveat that I guess maybe it's one of those things that if you weren't around at the time, you know, if you don't remember that era, it's probably going to seem a a bit more cornier to you and less believable i mean to me it's still you know largely because of the some of the old-fashioned acting um from the actual acting part of the cast as opposed to the presenters it's you know it's not all entirely convincing but i still find it endlessly entertaining and i think it's it's one of those shows that i could put on at any time and and be riveted it's very entertaining ben um yeah uh, it's it's worth at least one one watch um because that's all i'm gonna give it like uh some some good parts some bad parts bad acting uh it gets good at the end um with the the scares and the the creepiness um but yeah yeah go go watch it if you haven't watched it um but just watch it the once 
I wish. Do, do I need to step in and do some mending of the brotherly relationship here? Because <laughs> uh, it, it's, it's I, feel, I feel there's things Robert wants to say now that he's <laughs> holding in for the sake of keeping the family together, really. We don't always agree. It's absolutely fine. <laughs> okay, it's fine. Uh, occasionally Ben will show me something like that and I go, what the hell? I, what have I just done to my eyes? Um, <laughs> so, I mean, like, for me, I wish that people... I, I mean, I think the thing that, that's so frustrating is that this was something that really needed to be experienced as it went out yeah. on the night way back in 1982. And I wish that we could do that for people, that people could experience this for the first time in a in a world where all that language, all the aesthetics fitted. Now, yes, it does seem, it's, it's starting to date slightly more. Um, it is very much of its era. Oh, I think the drama for me is still top notch. I think that the execution is pretty good. And I think that, its influence on other things in terms of what it's done with certain parts of fine footage films in terms of what it's done with most haunted which itself was a phenomenon mm. um i think we have picked up on bits and pieces whether we realize it or not but for me it's still pretty effective and i think that it is the the it's the non-acting cast that really make it work because even today watching back there is something about those bits that seem quite believable um, maybe it's just they read auto cue better than anybody else, but they're completely convincing, and that's where I get sold, and I kind of overlook most of the rest of it. Um, I think it's very effective. I think everyone, as Ben says, actually, I think everyone should watch it at least once, at least once. I mean, the, those who want to watch it more often, there's a national seance happens every Halloween, um, run by the Ghost Watch behind the curtains guys, uh, and Stephen Volkanol's interest as well. And at the time that it would have went out back in '92, they stick Ghost Watch on the TV, and everyone kind of watches it together, all channeling the power once again to kind of manifest pipes into the world and chat about it and all that sort of fun stuff too, which is good. David looks like he has something he wants to say there. <laughs> well, no, it was when we first logged on to do this chat, and you said. You sort of sat there intently and said, why is my dad messaging me? And I had, had to think for a moment. Now, is Robert's dad still alive? What's going on here? Uh, that, that would have been quite effective today, wouldn't but, it? Yeah, that, yeah, let's try it. Meet again on Halloween. <laughs> um, so look, all that remains at this point is to thank my lovely colleagues tonight. So thanks, Ben, for putting up with you another one of my suggestions that you didn't like thank you i didn't say i didn't like it he he loved it he loved he bloody loved it i could tell he was holding back with his enthusiasm (laughs) he's more enthusiastic about that than he was about casino royale so it's it's fine um and thank you david for for joining us for your second time in a week um for one of my records uh you're now part of the cinepunk family officially i think welcome yeah Um, hopefully we'll have you back on again at some point. And um, mm-hmm. I know we've we've been talking on and off for a while about doing some stuff with David um, on some other topics and possibly over over in his neck of the woods as well. So we'll see what happens in due course. But yeah, welcome to the fold. Um, Thank you. And it's been lovely to work with you again on, on, on our favourite kind of genre. Yeah, absolutely. So um, those of you at home who's sitting in, who've sat and watched this or listened in depending on which format you're on um thank you very much uh, hope if you enjoyed it communicate with us on social media you will get us on 
uh, Twitter and also on Facebook where it's CinePunked. Uh, you get us on Instagram at CinePunked Film and our website is CinePunked.com. Um, if you enjoyed the podcast, give it a download, so tell your friends, and you can subscribe via any of your favourite podcast providers. You also get the back catalogue over on our website as well. Um, we'll be back again in your ears very, very soon and possibly also your eyes. These are the joys of the 21st century and lockdown forcing us all to do video communication technology so now you get to reap the rewards of that. Um, until the next time, thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.